Hello and welcome to the first ever episode of Revelations. This is your host, Ruth Conry, and today I thought maybe we'd take a little different route than most philosophy podcasts. Often they'll start out with more of a pre-Socratic look at ancient Greece, but I thought maybe we'll look into some stoicism in Rome and see what's going on over there, because often, you know, we don't hear about Roman philosophy as often, and so thought maybe it'd be a little a little more interesting, a little more off the beaten path. So basically, this episode will start out um, kind of overlooking just Stoicism, how it came to Rome, how it was received. Um, then we'll take a look at religion and how that kind of influenced the philosophy. And then we'll um, go over some big names in Roman philosophy, people you'll hear about if you're studying this people you should probably know about, their lives, kind of what they were interested in, um, but more about, you know, where they came from, how they were brought up. Anyway, so um, on to the brief explanation of Stoicism, and we'll go from there. So basically in 155 BC, Athens sent a delegation of three philosophers um, to an embassy in Rome, and their teachings caused quite a sensation among the educated there. Um, A skeptic named Carniades, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that one right, um, he addressed a crowd of thousands on one day and made the argument that justice was genuine good in its own right. And the next day, he argued against it, and it was just as as convincing. So (laughs) this kind of dazzling display of rhetorical skill and dialectical skill, together with a deep suspicion of philosophical culture, kind of generated a conservative backlash against all Greek philosophers led by Cato the Elder. Um, But thankfully, by around 86 BC, Rome was kind of ready to receive Greek philosophy. And it was natural that an ambitious, kind of well-off Roman like Cicero should go and study at philosophical schools in Athens and then return to Rome to kind of popularize Greek philosophy for his less cosmopolitan countrymen. And so basically today among the Roman Stoics that we'll be discussing are Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, and um, Cicero and Seneca. Okay, so the people of ancient Greece and Rome made many contributions to the study of religion and philosophy. The effects of these early developments were felt for centuries after their introduction. Um, Their religious mythology continues to be a source of fascination to scholars and has inspired hundreds of works of modern literature and art. The philosophies developed in ancient Greece and Rome are considered the basis of modern Western thought. Despite religion's pervasion throughout the Greek and Roman worlds, Greco-Roman religion really didn't provide any set principles by which citizens were expected to live. 
Religion didn't dictate behavior in ancient Greece or Rome, and citizens were free to behave as they chose as long as they partook in the proper worship activities. This left room for elevated discussion, especially on morality, ethics, and the meaning of life. The term, here's a little fun fact, um, the term philosophy derives from the Greek words philo, meaning loving, and sophia, meaning knowledge or wisdom. Um, And the Greco-Roman world's use of philosophy to answer questions about life was revolutionary for the time. Much of the ancient world outside of Greece and Rome looked to religion to explain life. The philosophical approach led to great leaps in human thought and laid the foundation for the future of logical reasoning. The earliest philosophers emphasized objectivity or the ability to view things kind of impartially with discussion revolving around finding an unbiased resolution to universal questions. Philosophers sought rational explanations for things found in nature rather than assessing the world through a mythological lens. All right, so studying, starting with Kikiro, he was an orator, a politician, a philosopher, and he struggled to steady the Roman Republic as it slid toward the empire. Although the power of his rhetoric has inspired generations to esteem traditional Republican virtues, um, it remains a tragedy that he had little impact on the decline of his own republic. Why this was is really quite simple. Kikuro was an outsider in an insider's world and a little bit of a moderate in an age of extremism. And Kikuro was... Also, interestingly, the foremost Latin prose author of his day, and his reputation is well-deserved. I mean, as his extant work makes abundantly clear, uh, regardless of prose medium, his style um, is balanced, polished, lucid, and even uh, hilarious. He had a great sense of humor. Um, His chief faults lay in his vanity and susceptibility to flattery, perhaps maybe an occupational hazard for a politician. Um, Kiro was born on January 3rd, 106 BC, near Rome to a wealthy landowner. And at an early age, he saw military service during the social war. And afterwards he managed to avoid involvement in the civil wars. He wanted to follow a career in politics and decided to first gain a reputation as an advocate. And nearly all of his works on philosophy, politics, or rhetoric are in dialogue form. Um, Although he had little of Plato's dramatic instinct, um, they're written in the elegant, sonorous Latin prose, of which he was a master. Several are devoted to ethics, religion, or other philosophical subjects, but they can't be regarded as original contributions to philosophy, because um, he he himself acknowledged that, quote, I only provide the words of which I have a very large stock, quote. Uh, nevertheless, they're extremely valuable because in them he reproduced the theories 
of many of the leading Greek philosophers of the post-Aristotelian schools, such as the Stoics and the Epicureans, whose own works have not survived. Among the more attractive um, are the short essays on friendship and old age, which I'll link in the description if they sound interesting, if you'd like to read them, De Amicitia and De Senectute. And of the longer works, the most important are probably De Finibus, which is a systematic discussion of ethics, and De Natura Deorum, a hastily written, kind of disjointed, but valuable survey of contemporary religious beliefs. Another group of his work is concerned with political theory, um, but it's not quite as vast and not as revered. And as a whole, these works are to some extent based on Greek ideas, but the theoretical basis is reinforced by the Roman practical genius for the art of government and Kikero's own considerable experience in politics. Okay, on to Epictetus. So, given the small number of surviving writing by the early Stoics, the works of Epictetus take on a particular importance as a major source of modern knowledge of Stoicism. He wrote little to nothing himself, but he was fortunate enough to have a student, Flavius Arianus, or Arian as he's usually known. Arian was a Roman citizen who served as governor of the province of Cappadocia in Asia Minor under the emperor Hadrian. He transcribed the discourses of Epictetus, which seem to have been conversations between Epictetus and his students after the formal lectures were over for the day. It's hard to believe that they are actual stenographic records of what Epictetus said, although it's not impossible for a man of standing such as Arian might well have had at his disposal a slave trained in shorthand. Um, there is one shred of evidence that would indicate that the discourses do represent the actual words of Epictetus. Another work of Arian, A History of Alexander the Great, differs, differs markedly in literary style from that of his discourses, indicating that two different authors are responsible. Epictetus's philosophical and religious beliefs are a combination of stoicism and cynicism. Basically, man can achieve complete freedom, specifically from pain, fear, and passion, if he confines his desires, both positive and negative, to areas laid down by nature and by what lies within his power. Anything outside these limits should be indifferent and of no concern. The world is under the control of providence, and the good man will consequently acquiesce in all events beyond his control. Within the specific realm of what is in his power, man is free in an unqualified sense and completely responsible for his own moral progress or regress. Any harm done to his mind or real self, the body is of negligible importance, is self-inflicted, and in this sense, he is the master of his fate. (music) 
Now for my favorite person we'll be talking about today, Marcus Aurelius. Um, Before he became emperor, the Roman Empire had enjoyed long years of peace. It controlled a vast area of land from Europe and North Africa in the west to about Turkey and Syria in the east. But for 16 of the 19 years of his rule, Marcus had to battle various tribes living in this great area who rose up against the authority of the empire. Although he won most of the battles he fought and held together the empire, he was not a soldier. He valued life too much to enjoy taking it. In the gloomy hours after battles, Marcus wrote in his journal his thoughts about life and death. He tried to live his own life by the noble and humble thoughts he wrote down. The reason for which Marcus Aurelius deservedly is most remembered is this collection of his thoughts or reflections, usually entitled The Meditations. Apparently jotted down from time to time, as inclination or opportunity offered, the thoughts form no organized system of philosophy. Rather, they're the record of a spirit whose principles were elevated above the somewhat grim rectitude of Stoicism by a warm love of mankind and a philosophy closely akin to religion. To Marcus, happiness was to be achieved by living according to nature, in harmony with the principle which ordered the universe. The serenity of one who so lived could not be really affected by the buffetings of fate. Since the meditation were composed in bits, I I think they're best read like that, kind of savored and enjoyed. And I'll leave a little link for those as well in the description. Okay, as for the last guy on our list, Lucius Anus Seneca, um, more commonly referred to as Seneca the Younger, was born around 4 BC and educated in Rome from an early age. He pursued a political career as a young man, and in addition to being a lawyer, held the offices of quaestor and praetor before becoming a senator. When Nero became emperor in 54, Seneca became one of his most influential political advisors, and thanks largely to him and another advisor, Burrus, the Roman Senate and state proceeded smoothly for the next eight years. As Nero's behavior became more erratic and violent, Seneca was increasingly compelled to overlook the emperor's barbarity until, after Burrus died in 62, he was allowed to retire from court. He then began to turn towards philosophy. He wrote prolifically, and his corpus included works on morals, philosophy, and ethics, in addition to poetry and drama. He became known in particular for the tragedies in the Greek style he composed in the first century. Some have suggested that he taught Stoicism through his tragedies, since many of them feature the destructive power of unrestrained emotion, a Stoic precept. This is unlikely, however, because evil often triumphs over rationality in his plays in a distinctly unStoic manner. His plays are filled with suspense, madness, and horror, which kept them in their theatrical limelight far past his own time. It's unclear whether he intended for them to be staged completely or whether he wrote them for other purposes. He had a widespread influence on authors of the Italian Renaissance and Jacobean England. The philosophical works of Seneca, although not especially original, show such nobility of sentiment that many Christian writers um, 
on morality and ethical conduct have drawn on him over the centuries. He seems to have invented a highly rhetorical type of tragedy, the influence of which was especially widespread in the Renaissance. And his literary style, terse, epigrammatic, and full of intermittent <laughs> intermittent brilliance provided a respectable rhetorical alternative to the long periodic sentences of Kikiro and had some influence on the development of the normal literary prose style of English, French, and other languages. Greco-Roman philosophy greatly contributed to the history of human thought and its effects were felt for centuries after its greatest philosophers had died. The early philosophies of this period led to the arrival of modern Western science, which influenced mathematics, astronomy, evolutionary biology, and many, many, many other fields. Ancient philosophy's methods in critical thinking also led to the development of the scientific method which led to extreme leaps and bounds in the development of Europe. And so I hope you learned a lot listening to this episode. Um, please contact me if you have any ideas for upcoming episodes or if there's something you'd like me to talk about or if you have any questions about anything. I'll do research and I'll maybe do a questions and answers Q&A episode coming soon. So please reach out. Thank you for listening. And we will be back.